Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Motor City Metrics here at TigersMLReport.com. I'm Rahel Casillo. Alongside me is Youper. John will be with us shortly. So will the elusive Chris Brown. As he was on a podcast earlier today that was a comedy-based podcast. It was interesting. He was telling me about how he was recruited for that. But at any rate, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or listen to podcasts. And again, we are part of the fan first network and more details on that it's like i said it's been a slow build with that but nevertheless there's a series of podcasts you can find on their baseball podcasts a lot of former sb nation podcasts so if you're familiar with a uh, couple blue the i believe the Southside white Sox podcast might be on there i'm not 100 about that but either way it's a diverse group of podcasts ranging from all sports from sb nation so more to come on that as we get some more details uh, coming up today it's going to be, it's a completely different story than it was last week. Coming into Toronto versus this week as the Tigers had won five in a row. They lost yesterday, but it was, again, it wasn't, it was a competitive game. They, they took two series since they took the series from San Francisco with a nice little buffer of two days off that helped with a strange situation with Sunday and Mon- Sunday having off and then Monday the weather was bad. It was, I think it was 39 degrees or something to that, to that effect. But after talking to being down there on Tuesday, we're going to double header. You've got a better idea that, yeah, it doesn't look good for the Tigers on their end on Sunday, but there was like just a bunch of situations beyond their control on that. So, but that being said, it didn't matter. The Tigers went out, swept the double header, took the series and held Jose Ramirez to game where I've never, I, I think it was, as much as I've watched this game, I don't think we've seen the Tigers handcuff Jose Ramirez like we did in this series. Uber. Yeah, that was really amazing. Other than he, he jacked one home run, and even the home run he hit didn't seem like his normal, beautiful swing. It was almost like he guessed last second and gulped it out, but which was, we did it, so that's still great. But yeah, the Tigers had him guessing. They must have been going maybe against some old scouting reports of ways they used to pitch him because. He looked baffled quite a few at bats. Yeah, that'll be part of my inside number this week too. We'll get there's a there's a specific number one to point out there. But overall, the the biggest I don't know. I'll I'll talk. I'll get the three takeaways from you guys from last week where the bridge was on fire. I was saying the season was over, and we all I think the I think it was safe to say the four of us kept our cool. We knew the team was going to struggle, but here we are. Tigers are seven and ten. And you look at the American League standings right now, it is a giant, it's been an absolute crap show for literally Oakland, which, I mean, them and the Possums, we'll get to that a little later as well. But if you look at the cross division right now, it's pretty well is up 11 and 7, Cleveland at 10 and 9. The White Sox are there at 7 and 12, but you're not sure how long they are. But then the Kansas City Royals are there to remind you, everybody, we are the worst team in the division. We are going to be awful, and don't worry about that. Hold my beer, and Oakland's like, you know what? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Whoa, 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 whoa. We're 3-16. and 16. <laughs> We're just right behind you. An interesting stat, though, by the way, that I picked up on the Oakland A's in terms of, like, average fastball velocity the first couple weeks was less than 92. It was 91, 90, 90 to 91 from the relievers. That's not going to cut it. That's a community college team. Yeah. 
<laughs> and, there, and yeah, there's good, there's more on the A's later because there's a lot of things going on with them. But yeah, if we if we want to get to the White Sox real quick, I've heard a lot of stuff on social media about like fans being upset and the national media being upset with them. Do you think this is the team that they are? Or do you think we're overreacting early into the season with them? I believe they're seven and twelve. Their offense hasn't been great. Is this the team they are, or are you guys expecting a bounce back for them? We'll we'll, we'll get back to that because I wanted to get the kind of takeaways first aspect. But that's that's a good question. We can save it up. But the so I don't know, Chris. I'll start with you in terms of the three takeaways from the not only the Giants series but with Cleveland, just in general from the last week. I hate to start negative, but the offense still has a long way to go. They they what are they one one by two, one by one, one by one, one by one, and one by two when they went in that five game winning streak. And uh, hey, a win is a win, right? But the pitching and the bullpen aren't going to hold up for that long. That said. My second takeaway was was how good Eduardo Rodriguez was. Eight innings, what was it, 11 strikeouts, 10 strikeouts? They said it was his, one of his best starts ever. And he does it quietly, kind of. Like, it's not, he, he's like the king of the, the strikeout looking or the cutter on the inside corner or whatever. It's not, like, nasty stuff, but when he's at his best, he's just he's putting guys away. I think our buddy Jake and Chipman years ago compared him to, like, a David Price. When David Price was was at his best, he wasn't, necessarily uh devastating he was just throwing a lot of strikes and getting guys out and, and that's what erod can be at his best third takeaway let's see carrie carpenter should be playing every day yeah let's see him get some lefties i was skeptical i thought badu made a case to beat carpenter out in the in spring training but carpenter all he's done is hit that's what he has to do and he keeps doing it and he, he's like the most consistent hitter on the team right now so play him every day all right john what are your three takeaways from the series or from the two game, two series, rather. There's a ton of them. I, I want to start off with Riley Green. He's been striking out a lot. I, I was looking up a stat. This was going to be my inside the number, but he has 26 strikeouts this year. The next closest Tiger has 15. That's Nick Maton. He's in the fifth percentile for K percentage in baseball right now. And yeah, the ground ball rate is down a little bit, but I don't know if it's time to start getting worried about him a little bit. I know it's early. But his walk percentage is is not good either. It's he's in the thirty fourth percentile in walk percentage. My other takeaway is the bullpen. I think fans are making it out so this bullpen was awful. I, I didn't think this bullpen was bad. I thought the, the bullpen we saw from last year, Youper, <laughs> the bullpen that we saw last year. Maybe they're not going to be as good as last year. But I think Jason Foley has been really really good. His velocity's been up. Alex Lange, the the turtleneck, he's been uh a stabilizing force in that bullpen. And I think Jason Shree's been a nice addition as well. And even Mason Englert has had some rough starts, but through three scoreless innings against the Guardians as well. So I'm not too worried about this bullpen. I don't think this bullpen is going to make or break this team this season. And then probably my third takeaway is probably Eduardo Rodriguez. He's the ace of the staff. Like he was absolutely shut down the Guardians offense. And yeah, I mean, he was just fantastic. Really, really good control, and I, I know I think he's going to probably get traded at the deadline if this team is not, let's say, at 500 or above 500, and maybe they could get something for him. But yeah, just my overall takeaway is this team is competitive. I knew that they weren't going to be one of the worst teams in baseball. They don't belong in the same conversation as the Royals or the A's or the Rockies or teams like that. They're going to be competitive. We saw that against the the division favorite Guardians. They obviously were close in all those games, took two out of three, almost won the third game in the ninth inning. 
they're a competitive team, and you saw the difference between this team this year and the team last year. I, I don't think the team last year would have came back from that six to one deficit against the Giants. I feel like this is a different team that we're seeing. I think there's a little cliche with that because I think this is it's also different personnel too. So there's a, obviously you can see a different result with that. But no, I I'll get to that in a second. But Uper, what's yours? Chris and John covered a couple of mine already, but I was going to mention that run differential. It was really interesting to win five in a row and it hardly budged in their direction because they were winning those close games. And really, that's my, to me, that's just a message of what this year is going to be about. Even sub 500 teams win five, six games in a row once in a while. And it's up to us to either criticize it or enjoy it. Now, I'm someone who I believe has limited expectations on this team, but that five game winning streak was very enjoyable. It was fun baseball. I was home for the whole doubleheader, which was done in five hours, which was glorious the other day. As a, re- as a reporter covering that, that was amazing. I never, yeah. yeah. Last year was like a 12 hour day. Oh, without question. I, and here's the thing a one nothing game where both offenses sucked and the, a pitcher for the Tigers never had a three ball count. That game should be fast. And it was fast. That was the, that was the cool thing, hour and 50 minutes. So it was a very fun week. You guys talked about Kerry Carpenter. I was going to mention him too. Even his outs are loud which is very cool. So let me just talk about Spencer Torkelson. What I'm noticing is that he's swinging at the first pitch a lot more. So I you can see that they, there's an aggressiveness there and the numbers back it up. It's He's up 50% from last year and, and swinging at the first pitch. So I'm not he's not tearing it up yet numbers-wise, but you can see the approach is a little more confident, a little more aggressive. I like it. Tigers base running last week when they were losing, there was a base running or two gaff almost every day. That five game winning streak, they really feed it up. And if you're going to win one run games, you can't be giving away outs. It was something happened where as, as a collective, they tighten things up and good for them. The seven and 10 start, but what they should be. I was someone who had them for pegged for 67 wins this year. The seven and 10 start is a 67 win pace. So there you go. Yeah, that fits in what I was, I was saying. I, I think one of the biggest, one biggest takeaway for me that I came away with was the, the, the in terms of the, you mentioned this a little bit, the defense has gotten a lot better. Avi Baez has still, again, the throws are a little off, but they're not. We didn't, we didn't see what we were seeing last year from Javi Baez. And he also went out after he got benched and, was do, had a pretty good series. He wasn't. He kept in terms of just putting the ball. The ball. He did a lot better than he did in Toronto. In other words, and he was hitting the ball, and he was effective on defense. And lastly, in terms of the bullpen, I think we all talked about this a little bit, but it was good to see a bounce back from Jose Cisnero, who yeah. last week looked really, really rough, and was able to come back. And between him and Trey Wingatter. Those have been my biggest, biggest tournament had really been the big reason why the Tigers have were in the winning streaks. I mean, again, and also Mason Engler, biggest takeaway for me is that he's pitching in clutch situations. And AJ Hinch mentioned this on the, on the presser on Tuesday about putting him in those situations because they believe in him because they want him to. And that change up came up pretty well. I think that that's something that keep an eye on for because this is a kid who I'm not saying he's a kid, but just obviously rule five pick 
never pitched above double A, and he went there and has pitched in some high pressure situations and he will get the job done. So those are some of my takeaways from the series. But as far as we continue on, looking at all, what's so the format for the show, I think that I have to figure this out that we're just going to do some takeaways. We're going to keep it very tiger heavy and then we're going to talk about the upcoming series against Baltimore. Then we'll go into our segments. So it makes things a little easier in, in keeping the tiger content heavy and flowing, if you will. So the tigers are in Baltimore, like I just mentioned. And tomorrow the matchup is going to be Michael Lorenzen and for whatever reason, Tyler Wells. And so that's going to be a matchup where Lorenzo did not look good his first start in the Tiger uniform. So it's going to be a little bit of a rough going a little bit, but I think he'll get there. I think he's depends on what they're going to use him for. The bullpen's going to be fully rested. So you got that. Then Saturday's matchup is Joey Wentz versus Kyle Gibson. And Kyle Gibson is still, it's amazing to me that <laughs> Kyle Gibson seems like he, he's one of those former twin pitchers that's just been around forever. <laughs> and he's still hanging around in the league. And then on Sunday, the matchup on Sunday for the Tigers, as they play both games Friday and Saturday are seven o'clock starts. There's two to be announced for Sunday's game. And going for Baltimore will be Grayson Rodriguez, the highly touted prospect for the Orioles. But I think that would have been Manning's start, right? Yeah, probably. Manning is going to be out missing time with a fracture. Frac- was it fractured foot or? Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So. I'm really looking forward to getting a three-day look at Adley Rushman. Obviously, I've seen him play a little bit, but having the Tigers play him, I hope he plays all three games. He sure is fun to watch. I remember him from college more even than his first year and a half here in the pros. But just an offensive force right now this year as a catcher a budding MVP candidate maybe not this year but soon yeah there's yeah. Ryan, yeah, Ryan Newcastle is going to be another guy to look at too that's he's just he's he's been among top 20 in target contact we're gonna say John I'm sorry yeah I was just gonna say is there any players you are for the Tigers that you're looking at to kind of step up in this series I know Zach McKinstry hit a home run in game three against the Guardians he's looked a little better than I I think a lot of people thought Jake Rogers hasn't really been getting that much playing time. I feel like Eric Haas was in the catching for most of the games against the Guardians. But yeah, is there just anyone you want to see step up? Maybe Javi Baez continue to do well for the Tigers. I uh, to me, it's more uh, my uh, my stock answer to this all year is going to be Green and Torkelson. That's pretty much where I'm laser focused on on this team most of the time. But I'll be honest, Kerry Carpenter is working his way into my attention span. <laughs> as far as Jake Rogers goes, I mean, in terms of starting and, and seeing him more often, we saw him in the second game of the doubleheader. It was his birthday on Tuesday with Miguel's birthday as well. But he didn't really want that, make that a big deal about himself. And he caught Erod's game and did a really good job. And, and to be fair, look, I know that a lot of people give up. Eric Haas, a lot of crap, but his defensive, in terms of his framing, it's gotten better. He did get a couple strikes and captured that. But yeah, in terms of where, but then the question is where you put Eric Haas right now. You could put him back in left field, but feel about you continues to struggle. But I, I'm actually looking forward, really, from the Tiger side of things, just to kind of a continuation of 
perhaps hopefully Nick Maton can hit on a consistent basis versus just a big flash. Chris, what about you? Okay. Oh, Chris is that means he's catching a clip. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I Hogeith had a, a four hundred and ten foot triple and yeah, go 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 go. Yeah, no, don't have to say anything. Yeah. Go, go, oh yeah, go, go go. Yeah, and I have and here's another thing too about the series. Yeah, is, for for I'm sorry. I was just gonna say that the, the one of the things I am looking forward to in the series too is the ability of the Tigers in terms of what they're gonna be getting from their rotation because Erod was was masterful. Trimble was all right. He got a little bit. He got hit late in the game a little bit. But Matthew Boyd, honestly, I didn't think he pitched that bad. He made a couple of mistakes. He even talked about it after the game where he made the mistakes at. But he was able to get a lot of swings and misses. He got, I believe, 12 or 13 swings and misses that day. I guess a Cleveland lineup that really is, it, there's one thing about Cleveland for a fact, that they are a team that takes a lot of pitches, and they're very, very good, conscious of the strike zone. So I thought that all things considering with some of the boppers they have in the lineup with Josh Bell, who Josh Bell had a pretty good series against the Tigers. I'm really looking forward to see what they can get from the starting staff this weekend against a very good Baltimore offense. I actually, until the sixth inning where he gave up the, the homer, I thought Turnbull looked good. I, I, I thought he was, the, the command issues were, were better. He was getting some swing and misses, and I think that was a start to build on. We, it ended poorly, but that happens. Yeah, it could be, like I said, it's still, that's a second in terms of starting for the first time in quite some time. But the yeah. slider action was was prevalent. That I will say the snap, slider seems to be snapping off pretty well. So let's move into our second segment, which is now the, let's see if I can find it, of course. Oh, here it is. Still have to update both. Still haven't been forgetting it. So don't forget, don't see that. Didn't you did not see that logo on the bottom right of the screen? It's now time for Inside the Numbers. And John, do you have an inside the number you want to start off with? Yeah, so my initial is going to be the Riley Green strikeouts, but I do have a, a number. I, it's not an exact number. So my number is the, the Tampa Bay Rays. And I was looking at some, some stats for the season. The Tampa Bay Rays right now are leading baseball in average home runs, RBIs, runs scored, on base percentage slugging percentage, OPS, and they're also leading in ERA, starting pitcher wins, whip, and opponent batting average against. We're looking at them as a World Series contender, but they've been the best team. Oh, there we go. They've been the best team in baseball. Their offense is so much better than I think a lot of people predicted. And yeah, it's not an exact number, but you could count up all the, the statistical categories they're leading baseball in right now, and most of the important ones too. For Tampa Bay, who like I, I said, Wander Franco could could break out, and he has, and yeah, they're looking like arguably the best team in baseball. All right. Somebody I know picked them to win the World Series. I don't know who that genius was, like, but it's crazy. For seventeen uh, games, I'm going to live with it. You like what's your apart. you what's your inside the number this week? Sixty-two <laughs> percent. That is the strikeout rate of one Jose Alvarado the Philadelphia Phillies bullpen. Basically, he's faced 29 batters. He has struck out 18 of them. And he is generating a 17% whiff rate with his sinker, which is pretty outstanding. 
The guy has been enigmatic, as we all know. He was sent to the minors just last year. He was with the Rays during some of their playoff runs, and he has been fantastic, and he's been terrible. He is on the fantastic train right now. If you drop in on some of their, some Phillies games and, and catch him on the mound, the sinker-cutter combo is just chewing people up. So I thought 62% K rate is worth a mention for Jose Alvarado tonight. All right, Chris, what about you? Speaking of the Rays, mine is 14.8. That is the average lunch angle so far this year for Yandy Diaz, which, cool. What does that mean? Diaz has, has been like the poster boy for most of his career for a guy who hits the ball super hard but on the ground too much. Every year he's in like the top 10% for exit velocity but also the bottom 10% for launch angle. Since he started playing, his launch angle was 0.5, 4.4, 5.7, negative 7.9. 6.6 and 7.7. So if he does finally figure out how to put the ball in the air, he's going to have a monster season. And so far, so good. He's hitting 274 with six home runs. His career high is 14 home runs. So he's off to a pretty damn good start there. And that could be part of why the Rangers or the Rays lead in every category. I made a Freudian slip there with the Rangers because I had a bonus inside the number. It's 43. That is the run differential for the Texas Rangers, which is the second best in baseball behind Tampa, which I don't think a lot of people saw coming. Yeah, they're doing that very quietly. No. Nice, nice. I like the I like the bonus one there today. Bonus. Bonus. By the way, somebody in the YouTube chat asked, the Tigers really have less than a thousand fans in the stands for game one of the Cleveland doubleheader? Yes. For yeah. the press box, when I was sitting in the press box, you could hear fans, the louder fans. Let's just say that. And uh, yeah, it was it was I, I'm literally Right before game time, too, it was just waiting for a walk-up crowd and everything. But the weather, the way it was, honestly, I don't really blame anybody. It was just, it was too cold. And I think it was the cold, one of the coldest days of the year in terms of, so. If if that doubleheader happened in, like, late July, there'd be 15,000, 20,000 people there at, at a 1 o'clock doubleheader. Yeah. And it'd be, like, 30,000 by the end. If they're playing reasonable baseball. Yeah. Yeah, it was just like I said, going into that series, I don't care. They could have given away. That could have been the safety game like they used to have at Old Tiger Stadium. It still wouldn't matter. It's it it's pretty cool, though, that those 700 people got treated to a walk-off over. Yeah, that was cool. <laughs> but you could literally from the press box, you could hear some of the, <clears throat> excuse me, some of the more louder, drunken or fans that had a good time. There we go. Let's just put it that, that way. So my inside number this week is two. So there's two inside numbers to this equation, if you will. Well, equation, but yeah, you get the idea. 11.2 and the other 17.8. So the 11.2 is the amount of change-ups the Tigers' bullpen was throwing before the San Francisco series. So if, during their first two seasons series. And the 17 is the recent stretch from April 14th till today. So their bullpen, by the way, if you're curious to know, right now, heading into the series against Baltimore, looks a lot better than they did they did the two weeks ago. So this is a bonus part of it. Their K per nine jumped from 6.54 to a nice robot, to a decent 9.19 mm -hmm. in time span. So increases, increased usage of the changeup, of course, courtesy of Jason Foley, that does help. But just an example why you don't freak out too early about some of these things. And you look at some of the 
close upon closer look, it looks like the Tigers were starting to go with the changeup more and just looking at even like their slider and curve usage were up as well. Not to the point of the changeup, but the changeup numbers stood out to me. But yeah, that's it. You think about it fully, and he has a heavy sinker. Now he has a changeup to go with it. Come out of Sam Arnold's spot. It's going to be a good pitch for him. It, it's just, it was the against, you see, you don't see very often Manny Ramirez. Manny Ramirez, wow. Jose Ramirez, frail like that. I mean, he looked lost. I felt how good that changeup was. All right, those are the inside numbers for this. Anybody has an inside number, by the way, if they want to, we used to get this all the time, and I haven't gotten recently. So if you if you follow us on Twitter at Motor City or MCM Metrics Baseball, or you follow any one of us on Twitter, give us your inside number of the week. Or if you're watching us right now on YouTube, give us an inside number. We'll read them out loud, and we'll gladly pass them along because I know you, a lot of our fans – who watch the podcast are pretty smart people. And so if you have a inside number you want us to reach out to today, then we'll go for it. So on that note, we now go into another or the last segment of the evening. The good, the bad, the ugly. <laughs> All right. So we're breezing through the seconds pretty quick. I was looking, that's why I was like, we're Doing double header time here. Twenty, we're twenty. We're already at. We're getting through the our three seconds. Chris, what what's your good, the bad, the ugly this week? So my good is Matt Vierling. This is an obscure one here, but uh, but he is uh, right now, according to Baseball Savant, the best outfielder in baseball in terms of getting jumps, outfield jumps. He is four point seven feet better than average, which is a full foot better than the second <laughs> second place guy. He, he ranks he first in the so called burst. And he's tied for sixth in reaction. So that's a nice thing to have. Still don't know what, quite what he is as a hitter. Doesn't seem to be able to, to really turn on balls. He's more of an away hitter. But uh, he's going to provide him with some defensive value, that's for sure. So that's nice to see. My bad is Alec Manoa of the Blue Jays. He's been one of the best young starters in baseball the last couple of years. And so far this year, through four starts, he's, he's one of the worst starters in baseball. It's 19 and a third innings. He's allowed 15 runs on 23 hits and 14 walks with four home runs and just 16 strikeouts, which is good for a 6.98 ERA and a 6.99 FIP and an 8.01 expected ERA. The fantasy team thanks you. Yes. And and a, a bonus bad that happened while we were doing this podcast. I'm going to go ahead and mention the Erie Seawolves, who entered the seventh inning up 6-2 to two and left the seventh inning down 10-6. to six. It went Angel to Jesus, and then Chance Kirby went walk, fly out, home run, double, balk, pitching change, walk, single, walk, walk, ground out, wild pitch, single, single, walk, strikeout. And, yeah, now it's 10-7 to 7 because Colt Keith did hit a 408-foot triple the dead center and scored on a sack fly. But that's my bonus bad. And, and my ugly is is the whole Oakland-Las Vegas athletics situation. Which is the, we got the inside number for from Kyle Clark here, 49. The A's bought 49 acres of land in Vegas. 40, is it just 49? Yeah. Continue. Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's inevitable this thing was coming. I don't know what the hell is going on with Oakland forever. I don't know how Las Vegas is going to be as a baseball town. I've never actually been to Las Vegas, so I, I couldn't tell you anything. I know that it, it's a desert and all the water's going away, so that doesn't seem great. But I guess you go ahead and just put out another big grassy field out there. 
But the thing that bumps me out is is that Oakland, the, the athletics franchise has been around forever, right? It was in Philadelphia, then Kansas City, then Oakland. And they've been in Oakland for 55 years. And there's a remarkable amount of history for the Oakland athletics for a relatively young franchise. You know what I mean? It's, it's uh, at least relatively the young city location. I think the, the early 70s A's are the most underappreciated juggernaut in baseball history. What they want, five straight pennants. They won three consecutive World Series. The only franchise in baseball to do that outside of the Yankees. And then there were, when I was growing up, there were those awesome 80s teams with the Bash Brothers and Ricky Henderson. And then there were the Moneyball A's in the early 2000s that made a bunch of playoffs. And then the early teens when they were rivals with the Tigers. There's been a lot of good teams in Oakland. And they've got great fans. And the ownership just doesn't give a shit. And, and it yeah. bums me yeah. out. We don't like to swear on this show, but that one, it, it just really sucks because I would hate to be in that situation. And here they are. I think you touched on it. What, they're 3-16 and 16 to start the year? 3-17? and 17. Yeah. One, of the, one of the 20 worst starts in baseball history. It's just, it, it's a bummer for really good fans, and I feel bad for them. And the, the thing is, too, when you, when you read, like, I know we were joking about this last week about the possum and the <laughs> visiting booth, but that's just... You know what that is? That's just basically saying to the fans and to everybody else, oh, you have a sewer backup? Yeah, we don't care. They, they, they claim that they don't have any money yet. Oakland, San Francisco area, that's in terms of, in terms of average cost of living, it's not the highest in the United States. I know that doesn't play a role with media market to a certain extent, but it's ridiculous. This goes back. The A's have overachieved even when, when Chuck Finley, or excuse me, not Chuck Finley, but the... What was the owner's name? Charles Finley. Charlie Finley. Charlie Finley. Yeah, Charlie Finley was being a cheapskate then. But but they were able to produce talent like Reggie Jackson and Catfish Hunter. Some of those really good. They're the, I believe, the last team. We have a three-peat, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're the last team. The Yankees did it sorry, in what, 98, 99, 2000. But, yeah. There's only two. Yeah, sorry. I was forget about those Yankee teams. I think it's because the Tigers were so bad. I was trying to forget about baseball. No, it's it's really, really a shame because Oakland, even in terms of like standpoint of culture, you talk about Billy Beanball, like Billy Ball in 1980, 81. You talk about those, you're talking about those 80s teams, like the Bash Brothers. There's also Dave Stewart and, and Dennis Eckersley. Like you just... Some of these almost iconic players in the last 25 to 30 years. Bob I mean, Welch. Bob last, Welch. Uh, yeah, former Hazel. yeah, rest in peace, Bob Welch, who was from Hazel Park, Michigan. In fact, Hazel Park Field, where my brother is a teacher at, is named after Bob Welch, who's also he's also an Eastern Michigan grad. So he shares that with you, Chris. MC but, Hammer was MC a bad Hammer. Boy? Yeah. Brooklyn. Yeah, yeah, this is iconic. Yeah, they are iconic. And yet they have been I almost feel like in a way they're sabotaging this on purpose. Meanwhile, San Francisco is just like, yeah, yes. I I don't know what it's like to have like a sister city like that. I I wonder if Windsor had a professional baseball team and the Tigers move, if I would like them or if I would just hate them even more, because I I, I feel like there's got to be a natural rivalry, right, with the like between the Cubs and the White Sox. If the the White Sox moved, I don't think all the White Sox fans would just suddenly become Cubs fans. I don't think Raiders fans became 49er fans. Yeah, no. I don't think so. Oh, football is insane, but oh, yeah, yeah, baseball. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't see any Darth Vader gear in San Francisco colors when whenever that happens. But the rate, and again, the 49ers don't even have a NFL film song named after them. I mean, the, the autumn wind is what I'm referring to for the Raiders. But anyway, I digress. I just think that 
Oakland fans deserve a better fate. And just the, the simple fact, again, when you're reading, how are you not embarrassed as an owner? And how you're not embarrassed as an owner and just have this, there's a possum in the damn broadcasting booth. I, I feel like this, I know I'm repeating myself, but just think about that for a second. Think about how lazy you are as an organization that you can't hire a pest control person or some poor intern that's, hey, look, you want this job and you want to work for the A's? Here's your first job of the day. You kill this pot or you get this possum out or, or like just something. It's just that's to me is, is ridiculous. It's just borderline <laughs> insulting that they are that. Again, when you see those pictures of the sewer backup and the dugout, ugh, first of all, just gross. And second, how are you like walking around as an owner? Cause, well, wait a minute. No, that's right. You're, your wallet's so full of money, you forget. No, I'm definitely that out. It's crazy. And then, yeah, and same thing. Jeremy, who's our chat, by the way, is from, who's out the Tiger games out there in Oakland all the time. He's out that area. He'll tell you how bad it is out there. And so that's a good inside number, by the way, for Steve. Look at me. 543, that's slugging for the year. So thank you for that. And then Sergio reminded us, too, that Charles Finley paid his players $300 at the grow beers and mustaches to work it, to work a nerve on the clean shaven reds and Raleigh fingers handlebar was born. <laughs> and he still has it to this day. I, I there was a, there was an interview. Where I think it was recently where, where did I see it. I stopped myself for 30 for 30 or something recently where he was rocking it. But anyway, all right. We got sidetracked with some A's talk, but uh, what is yours? Really bad Side, sidetracked with some A's talk. It's amazing that if you had that as your ugly, because under good, I have written right here, Las Vegas A's. <laughs> what? <laughs> That's why I was staying quiet there. Mm-hmm. I'm on the other side of this in a lot of different ways. I think Las Vegas is a market that Major League Baseball needed to take advantage of. I think Oakland is a death trap in terms of there'll always be second banana in that area to the Giants. I don't think that's changing. They have tried to get a stadium both through private funding that they kept, the city kept asking for more and more and more, and they just couldn't do it. They tried through public funding. They couldn't push that through. They've been playing in that dump, which I will admit they have not tried to improve. But where was their incentive to improve it? They, they couldn't get anybody at the city. The city's been fine having that embarrassment as part of their civic, their, their civic buildings. I don't know. I think instead of this ongoing saga, which we've been hearing for at least a couple of decades about needing to get a new stadium in Oakland or move. I think just pull the bandaid off and go. Go to Vegas. It's a great market in terms of growth, in terms of there's never, there's no, it's virgin territory basically for MLB. Make that work. Do all the good things you can do with Vegas. I think that might set some other organizations in motion as well to get to either Salt Lake City or Nashville or Montreal and get this whole situation settled. My big recommendation, though, is if you're going to go to Vegas, embrace it. Become the team like the Outlaws or something like that. And also, don't call yourself Las Vegas. I think they should be the Sin City A's or the Sin City whatever, Devils. I don't care what you call them. I want Sin City. I think that would be the coolest jersey in sports, bar none. 
yeah, but this is the same this is the same city for they did the Golden Knights and they got sued by Army because it's the same. <laughs> so I, I don't expect any creativity. Although I honestly, you probably would. I'd love that. I'd love to for them to do something like that. Yeah, Pete Rose. Pete Rose <laughs> loves suggested <laughs> by old BK. One thing, but... one thing we learned about Uper is he's a shill for the owners. <laughs> I, you know, I, I, I do. I believe. Honestly, I, I do think it's good for baseball overall. I just feel really bad for the Ace fan. That's th- that's the thing that, that bumps me up. Uh, yes, it's just, I understand. I, it's, whenever for a the, organization team leaves and, and you've got nothing you can do. For the like, 15 dozen Ace fans, I get it. <laughs> okay? There's a few dozen of them. But they've had times where because of that dump stadium, even when they had good teams, they'll have 8,000 people in September. Okay, that, that, that kind of, they're Indians you in know, that respect. You know what, though? Uper, I'll let you get back to your segment here. The reason why, I think the reason why Uper is so excited about this is because the Tigers traditionally in Oakland over the last 35, 40 years have won. I'm sorry, since, I think, like, I think since 1981, I did this, I did a story about it once. The Tigers have won a total of two series in Oakland. Two, <laughs> something like that. They've won less than, I know it's like two or three series in Oakland, but in, but in the last 30 years, too. In, including playoff, playoff series. Yeah, back to back Verlander game five where it matters. Yeah, they yeah. Tigers won. That, yeah, that's so all that Justin bailed them out every the time they go to that. Every time they go to Oakland and Anaheim, every time without fail, that road trip is an always a disaster for the Tigers. I don't get it. I'm not feeling like Vegas is going to be a great place for big teams either. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, but there's ways you can navigate. There's two sides of Vegas. You can do the PG-13, Brantley, Missouri style, or you can do the true Vegas experience, which is something that I will not talk about on here that I did for Labor Day weekend 12 years ago for a bachelor party. But anyway, you continue with your segments. Okay, bad. Max Scherzer looking like a suspension coming down the road for some rosin or whatever on his glove and his hand. I've seen a lot of people online anyway, and maybe it's just the people I follow, um, kind of mad like baseball saying this is part of the what's wrong with baseball and so on and i get it people don't like change and people think that they love max and they think it's just rosin and was getting over officiated and so on but here's the thing since they started checking for the sticky substances it's become less and less they're finding anything max got popped okay he they're gonna try to hold to the rules and he's gonna get suspended Maybe he wins an appeal. Who knows? We'll see. But I don't think there's anything wrong with baseball. I thought the reaction was a little over, over the top in terms of saying, no, well, it's a bad rule. There's nothing wrong with checking for the sticky stuff. And they've been finding less and less as they've gone along. My ugly Kansas City Royals, one in 10 at home. Think about that. Ooh. One in 10 at the friendly confines of Kauffman Stadium. Heading down there in May to see two games at the Tigers. Hopefully, they're continuing to struggle. At such a pace yeah. in Kansas City. Yeah, Brady Singer's ERA, I, I checked, is over at eight. And I'm also like, on my fantasy team. I have a really good pitching staff. Oh, <laughs> oh see, that, see, Uper right now is trying to get a swing and trying to get two of my best pitchers right now in a deal, but we'll have to talk about that off air because no one cares about fantasy <laughs> baseball. All right, John, what are, what's your good and bad ugly this week? We're starting with good or bad or ugly. Does it matter? I usually try to stick to that traditional order. Good, so. better. Okay, yeah. so my good would be the Chicago Cubs, who I think are a little bit better than some people expected. It's only 17 games into the season, but Cody Bellinger is showing signs of life. OPS plus at 119, 
has three home runs. Patrick Wisdom has eight home runs, OPS plus at 189. Dansby Swanson's been really good, which I thought he was a bit overpaid. Obviously, it's still early in his contract. Nick Madrigal, Nico Hornier, Ian Happ. Their offense has been really, really solid. And the NL Central, it's not the greatest division in baseball. I still think the Cardinals are probably the favorite. The Brewers have been a bit surprising. But yeah, the Cubs offense, they completely revamped it this offseason. And it's showing that they can compete. I don't think they'll make the playoffs, but I was looking at baseball reference. They have a 65% chance to make the postseason for their playoff odds. I don't know about that. Uh, but yeah, definitely, yeah, definitely too early. But I, for me, just seeing Cody Bellinger show some signs of life. Because, I mean, he was... He's got home run tonight, he, too. He's got home oh, run. Oh, nice. Yeah, because like 2019, he was unbelievable. He had just an unbelievable Sweet. season. So yeah, good to see the Cubs showing some signs of life. For my bad, it's not really bad. It was more unfortunate. It was the ninth inning of game three against the Guardians. I was at the game. I finally got to a game. Uh, and Kerry Carpenter, leadoff single. Akil Badu then pokes one into the outfield. Two runners on, nobody out. Torkelson was coming up. You could just feel the tension in the stadium. A lot of people were really excited for Torkelson because the home run he hit. And to have two runners on, nobody out, and being down by one, not being able to score, I get Emmanuel Classe is a really, really good closer. But, yeah, it was just unfortunate. It felt like that was a game that we could have at least tied up. And I feel the good teams in baseball, the truly the best of the best, they win games like that. When you have two runners on and nobody out in the ninth inning, you have to find a way to manufacture a run. And, unfortunately, they weren't able to. Torkelson had a, a nice poke the other way, but it was caught in the outfield. Tyler Nevin battled against Classe. And I think it was, what, 11, 12 pitch at bat? And, and one of the things I remember looking at that on the game day app, and eight of the pitches were right down the middle. Yeah. And that's, that's just how good Classe is. Like, he can just throw it right down the middle, and it's still impossible to hit. So and that was a good battle. But yeah, you felt like you felt that magic for a couple games there. And then just, you can't, you can't do that every game. Yeah. You can just feel it. Oh, go ahead. You. No, I was saying. About that matchup, what was interesting about it was the whole thing was 0-2. I yeah. mean, went 11 pitches deep, and it was 0-2 the whole way. So Nevin, he really, he battled. There's no question about it. And he almost got that flare to drop. If that had been about a foot shorter, we'd be talking about some different things going on. Yeah. And then my ugly would just be the Colorado Rockies. I don't like the Colorado Rockies as a franchise. I just feel like... I don't know what they're doing. They wasted Nolan Arenado. They wasted Trevor Story. They traded Nolan Arenado. Didn't really get a lot for him. Didn't trade Trevor Story. And then they signed Chris Bryant. And I just feel like, I don't know if this team's rebuilding. I don't know if they're trying to compete. They're 5-14. and 14. Their pitching has been awful. They've refused to add to their starting pitching. They signed Kyle Freeland to a big contract. Herman Marquez, I feel like, could be really good somewhere else, but he's obviously struggled in Colorado. And they're just a frustrating team for me and a frustrating franchise. And I don't really know where they're going. I don't see them being able to compete anytime soon in the NL West. So yeah, as just a baseball fan, that's just one of the franchises that kind of angers me. And I just, I don't know. It's like even Chris Bryant, he's just a great talent. I feel like he's going to be wasted. I, I understand he took the paycheck. But it's a little frustrating what Colorado's been doing these last couple of years. Yeah, they are a, a franchise that I, again, I don't 
to even understand from a player development standpoint sometimes what they're doing because oh wait the owner's son is the farm director there you go i, yeah. I was just about to say they keep hiring people in the front office who have sketchy resumes yeah they never they never hire the up-and-coming whiz kid from some winning organization yeah <laughs> they, they always that. make these mysterious hires it's nepotism well, at its finest remember dick monfort his quote about the padres is he doesn't like what the padres are doing yes yeah. the padres are signing good players to a bunch of money yeah and developing know. and developing players too oh what a concept it's crazy and, the, and they're yeah. winning more games than you are dick yeah yeah i feel for the fans again yeah. in, in colorado and in, in, in colorado they actually are i've been told it's almost like Wrigley Field, where fans show up rain or shine, and they're all getting yes. loaded, having a good time, and they deserve a better owner. Yeah, you know, Denver is a really good baseball city. It's always yep. been that way. So, so my speaking of baseball cities, so my good is there's it's a bonus, two good, so two good bonuses, if you will. I, I'm saying that incorrect. So we we're bashing the Oakland A's earlier, and we were going pretty hard on them, but one Oakland A stood out yesterday, Mason Miller, and his first. His first first start, four innings, five strikeouts, and the A's need a good, somewhat of a feel good story to that. And they, again, it's one of those things where one walk, he looked pretty, he looked pretty dominant out there. And take away the two runs, still, nevertheless, he went out there and faced a pretty good lineup with the Cubs. And the Cubs division opponent is the Pittsburgh Pirates, and that's my other good. the The Pirates are off to a thirteen seven record. I know it's very early, but they have looked in terms of even like their in terms of starting pitching. They've been getting some some big performances today. Rosny Contreras today had 14 swings and misses against the Reds. Again, they're playing the Reds. I understand that. But Colin Holderman, who the hell is Colin Holderman? You ask yourself, who? Yeah, who is Colin Holderman? Pumping out high 90s fastballs. The Pirates bullpen's actually been pretty good. Again, the rotation. Okay, it, it's still not it's it's still the same problem. I mean, was weren't, weren't they one of the teams last year? Correct me if I'm wrong. That it took a while before they got a win from their starting rotation. Mm, that sounds about right. Yeah, it was like I remember. Shocking, was, yeah. I remember that was one of our inside numbers from early last year. But break out the Pirates, thirteen and seven. Hey, so to me, it's just mind-boggling. The I ugly or my bad rather because I skipped. I was getting too get too excitable. So my bad has been, and we were talking about this earlier, and I was mentioning the numbers, like some of the percentage thrones and, and what have you in terms of what the bullpens have been throwing. The, here's the, the bad. The, a, the, the Pirates, and I say that because they've only thrown, in terms of fastballs, 33% of fastballs. So a lot, it's 33% fastballs, 33% sliders, and it's 7 and 13% for sliders or curveballs and, and changeups. The reason why I'm at, the reason why I think that's bad, or excuse me, bad rather, is how long before you're going to have some arm issues with that. If you're going out there, you're looking at some of the teams out there that just, to me is just kind of like alarming to see that, that slider rate so high. So I know it sounds like I'm. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. That's the way the, the way baseball's been going the last five, six years. That's another thing the Astros seem to really embrace is, is basically throw your best pitches and don't throw fastballs if it's not a good fastball. And we see that with Alex Lang, right? He, I think he's like a 10%, 15% fastball. But for a whole team to do that is wild. So 
that will be something interesting to watch. We'll see if they all break down later this year. Although they do have a pretty deep farm system. Yeah, the Pirates do have a pretty good farm system when you've been terrible for that long. And the uh, and they also to end out the ugly, rather just the last part. I, Douglas Mass and Bumgarner, who has been DFA'd, but uh, good riddance, really. The guy, I don't, I, I've never liked the guy. I don't, for re- he just seems like he's always got a chip on his shoulder when he doesn't need to. I think it was his last start. I think he was just like, like talking crap to yeah. people. It's like, dude, you're, you're over. You haven't been anything in years. Shut up. <laughs> no, yeah, he's always been a massive red ass. Yeah. Um, it is a bummer that he didn't have a better career because he is arguably the best postseason pitcher of all time. Was it the 2012 World Series or 2014? 14. 14. Yep. Just, just dominant. So that's a bummer. But yeah, he's an ass. So I, I don't care that much. And he can go back to being like a secret rodeo clown or whatever he was. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> go back to the hills of North Carolina and do whatever he was doing. To each her own. Yeah. I just, I've never cared for him. I just, I, again, for the being yeah, put in huh? a big old horseshoe dip and, and hop on that bowl and go. <laughs> <it's done. laughs> no, but uh, I know it's too. For the Arizona, Arizona, they really technically need him. So bad. Arizona is a story in itself. Yeah, yeah you're right. You well, so far you've been right. They've got fun young pitching. You got you got Ryan Nelson. You got Dre Jameson. You got Brandon Fat coming up. Yeah, they they've, <laughs> they've got a lot in the, even like pitching depth. The former was it Tommy Henry? I think they they still have him on former Michigan pitcher. I think he's banging around there. So yeah. I don't know. Arizona's an exciting team. Texas is an exciting young team. I, I think it's good to see some of this young blood coming up. It's also see like to John's point, it's it's fun to see the Cubs go out and try a little bit. They didn't break the bank. They they spent big on Swanson, but they you know went out and spent a little bit of money and they're competing. And what do you know? It's so weird. It's crazy. You know what's funny, by the way, the Michael Diamondbacks the Diamondbacks are the only team in first place with a negative run differential. So they're yeah. minus seven. So yeah, and by the way, somebody not ideal. Yeah, problematic VG in chat brought up. It's crazy. It's only 33. I'm with you, Detroit Generate, in our YouTube chat. I couldn't believe he's 33. I thought he was like 36, 37. I, I think he debuted at 20. Wow. Pretty Ooh. sure he was one of one. He's only one of 10 guys to uh, high school pitchers to make it to double A in his first full season in the minors. I think that was a thing that, that Andrew Painter did last year with the Phillies. So it was like Bumgarner and Kershaw, like. Guys who do that end up being really good. But sometimes we see those guys who burn bright when they're really young are done by their early 30s. Think of Felix Hernandez, right? He was basically toast by 33, 34. Yeah. Yeah. He was up at 20 as well, yeah. Russ Ortiz, too, comes to mind, too. And that was a guy who was really good in San Francisco. Was it San Francisco or Atlanta that he was really good? And then he got forgot where he started struggling. So so here's my question to you. Madison Bumgarner, Hall of Famer or no? No. No. No, I don't think so. I don't no. think he has the numbers, the counting stats, or the overall numbers. And, and he really wasn't even that dominant when he was good. But he was just so good in the playoffs that that would raise his profile. But I, I feel I, like, if, yeah. if you looked at his war, if you care, like if you use that as an arbiter, I think it's probably under 40. But I feel like yeah. the mo- the most important thing in baseball, though, is winning the World Series. But in the Hall of Fame, it doesn't, you have to have a certain kind of, you have to hit these certain criteria or else you're, it doesn't matter. Case in point, Joe Carter won a World Series. He's not in the Hall of Fame. He had a big World Series. He had some good numbers. Uh, but, yeah. I, I think the, the person that popped to my mind is Andy Pettit. Oh, yeah. There's a great postseason pitcher. Arguably, if you looked at the numbers, I haven't. But if you did, I would bet maybe even a little bit better than Bumgarner career-wise. And oh. he's not in. 
Yep. And I would be surprised if he got in. Although you always have to put out the Harold Baines got in. So but as you uh, never know. You never you never know when he wouldn't be in my Hall of Fame, I'll say that, unless we were doing the Kevin Goldstein Hall of Fame where you just put famous baseball players in there. And yeah. then you go, sure, you know what? That twenty fourteen run was very famous and very memorable. So put him in for that. But yeah, like you compare him, Mark Burley, Andy Pettit, those guys have sixty to seventy career war. I just looked up Bumgarner's at thirty seven. That's a good if that if that matters to you, then yeah, he's not close to a Hall of Fame. But he's certainly a player of renown. Yeah, Mickey Lowell is much closer to the, the yeah. Hall of Fame than Bumgarner. What would Jack yeah, Morris's work? <laughs> Or, or even even another or, another example. Of this is Paul O'Neill. Paul O'Neill won a World Series with the Reds in 1990, and then he won a few with the Yankees. And his career WAR is 38.8. And he's yeah. a guy who batted, huh? Oh, sorry. Yeah, go ahead. He's he's a guy we probably put in the 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 end of the very good Hall of Fame guy thing. So I don't know. I just I, I was just saying the Paul O'Neill Easter egg on on Baseball Reference. No. If you if you look at it, he bats left, he throws left, and he kicks left. I just thought. And if you click on that, it's the, the infamous clip of him, it was like a game saving. He booted oh. the ball and then literally kicked it, and it went right to the first base, and he prevented a guy from scoring. It like in a very critical moment in the game. Yes, it, it clicked. Uh, I can't. I, I was. I can't show it because we'll get copyright. We'll get dinged. But if you yeah, we'll, we'll look for it at home, so yeah. we can't show clips of old baseball games. That's a bummer. Minor league games we can, but for whatever reason, I just don't want to. I don't want to get. All right, I got you. Don't really yeah. push it. Yeah, and I just if we're sticking on that MLB talk, the Milwaukee Brewers, fourteen and five. Are you guys think they're for real, or do you guys think this is a little bit of a? False I was actually going to try to go in the Justin Henry Malloy episode, but yeah, uh, go ahead. Well, yeah, yeah, we can. We can oh. Woodruff and Corbin Burns are both hurting, right? Mm-hmm. I think so. We'd be a little worried about how they're going to move forward. Freddie Peralta is good. Yeah, I, I, I think the Brewers are underrated in terms of their player development. We've talked about it before. They and, and Ashby is hurt, too. But they just consistently, like even guys that were highly touted, like they got Bryce Terang. There was a, a time when Bryce Terang was going to be the number one overall pick in the draft, and then people were like, oh, he can't really hit for power. And they took him at like the 19th pick in the draft, and he waved in and out of the top 100 prospects, and he looks like a solid player. They just get guys like that. Joey Weimer, or Weimer, I don't know how you pronounce it, Garrett Mitchell, Sal Frelick, they, they they do a good job of drafting and development. And so I think they'll have some guys who step up. But certainly, yeah, you don't want to lose Woodruff and, and Burns. But I think the Brewers are, are legit. I, I think they're a classic Twins team. They're going to they're gonna compete. They're going to get to the playoffs, and they're going to get swept by somebody. <laughs> that's, a typical, that's a typical MO with the Brewers. It's just they never – they can never get over the hump. But I, the reason why is – with. Justin Henry Malloy has been causing a lot of ruckus down there. Normally, we'd save this for the minor league report, and we will be doing a something special for the Tiger minor report on him that will probably drop in the next couple of days or so. But the reason why I wanted to talk about this is because we have we have data, and we have data behind a, a nice little paywall that just we've been collecting. We're our data nerds, and so as far as what he's doing on the minor league level. He is his average effective velocity is ninety two point nine, and he is right near right above the major league level in terms of that, and that is something that he in terms of league average he's way above league average. League average, thanks to Jerry, figured this out is eighty seven point eight. So along the lines of people asking about Parker Meadows, he still has a little ways to go, but still 
that is good. That's a good sign for Malloy. Again, the idea that he's not a good fielder. I think I think he's doing fine. I I, I don't worry. I, I I've watched him for twenty games now. He's absolutely fine at third base. He's not a Gold Glover. He's probably not even gonna. He might be a negative defensive run saved at third base because of a lack of of range. But his hands and arm are just fine. He, he gets and he can range a little bit. So I, I don't think he's going to be a net negative at all. And man, he's just been an on base machine. I think three more times today. He's such a pain in the ass for pitchers. They're they're up there. They can't figure out how to put him away. It's 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 fun to watch a guy like that on the Tigers for once, or at least in the Tiger system. We're just like, oh man, just like a traditional Jose Ramirez type. We're just like I I I don't know what to do. I have to walk this guy or give him a home run. Now the power is starting to come. A four hundred thirty nine foot home run today. It's off Daniel Norris. So I don't know how much. It- <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, he's hitting. He's hitting the ball hard consistently. I think that's the big thing. Like a- average exit velocity. When we had Mike Petriello on, he said he didn't really care about that too much. He cared more about hard hit rate. Right. I think Malloy's hard hit rate is forty five, fifty percent, something like it that. Is, it is fifty. Where am I at right now? Oops. I hate that. When you, how you stare at something for so long and all of a sudden you go back to it? Oh, oh. hard hit. Yeah, twenty percent. That's it. Oh, I'm sorry. It's hard hit. Oh, I'm hit rate. I'm sorry. It is 50%. I'm sorry. 50%. Yeah. So roughly half the balls he's putting in a play are leaving his bat at 95 miles an hour plus, which is great. That's really yeah. good. And he's walking a lot and he's an adequate defender. Yeah. The question now, everybody's like, hey, when's he coming up? When's he coming up? We're still right. in April, guys. I don't think teams want to. I could see the Tigers maybe sending Nevin down, but they would have to make a 40 man move too. And everybody just wants Scope gone. But Scope made. That spectacular diving stop the other day. He still is an excellent yeah. defensive second baseman. Is that enough to keep him around? I don't know, but like it, it feels like it's enough to give him a, another month or two to try to get the bat going. But I know fans get tired and they want to see the new next new thing. And then what happens when the next new thing struggles for two years? They go, I, I don't know. So <laughs> I just give it some time. I the Tigers will call Malloy up when he's ready. And another thing too, and I'm and Detroit. Degenerate point in the chat. Correct me if I'm wrong, though. Didn't Malloy struggle against the spring training against major league pitching? He did. And another stat to me that stands out, and I was talking about this with Chris, is ground ball rate. It's close to 50%. And you want that, while his line drive rate is pretty good, you want that ground ball rate to be a little lower to me. Yeah. He's a guy with a, a not to go back to Yandy Diaz, but it's a Yandy Diaz profile there. Where it's like an eight. Eight degree average launch angle, which is about five, six degrees lower than you'd like, which is the opposite end of the spectrum from Andre Lipsius, who is has a very similar game to Malloy, but instead of line drives, he hits a lot of fly balls. His average launch angle is like 25 degrees, 23, something like that. So, which doesn't necessarily, it's not a bad thing for Lipsius because I think if he can pull the ball more, he might hit, and, might hit a, a decent amount of home runs. But it works better for Malloy because these these are line drive hits and walks. With Lipsius, it's it's walks and a lot of fly balls. But yeah, you'd like to see Malloy come up a little bit. But I don't like. How do you complain about a guy with a five eighty on base or whatever? Like you just go, just ah, whatever, man. Keep doing what you're doing. Yeah, it's, it's too early. Like I said, it's it's a matter of time before they do call up. But even right now, as much as Zach McKester, trying to plug again in the name. McKinstry, yeah. McKinstry, yeah. So Zach McKinstry, I did say that. Okay. McKinstry, he had, a, he had a home run the other day. Again, he's not, he's a left-handed bad. He's been, defensively, he had a, I think he had, was that error third? Was it? I, uh, yeah, I don't remember exactly. 
Yeah, my question is for Andre Lipsius. How has he looked in the minors, and do you think we can see him up sooner rather than later? Again, no, I don't. I don't think so. Only unless there's some sort of injury. If you look at some of the numbers for the for Tiger fan, for the Tigers, the in terms of average exit velocity is eighty eight point seven, just slightly above the league average. The hard hit contact, and I'm not trying to do all based on numbers, but in some cases, this is what the numbers they're going to look. At. Because they're going to look at the quality of contact. And if he's getting some loop singles against AAA pitchers, but the exit velocity to it's if you're, you're pulling out Donnie Sands here, who has the the team low of 82, you might have yeah, a problem. Like, I, don't, I, I don't mean to be like, I don't like ever to dismiss guys, but, but I don't think Donnie Sands can hit. <laughs> I think having watched him, he needs to ditch his, his, his leg kick. Remember Jake Rogers' leg kick? Like, Donnie Sands is, is just as prominent, but all it does is make him incredibly off balance. Yeah. And so he just pounds the ball into the ground. So I think he needs to fix that. I don't know if he is. He's, I think he might be older than Jake Rogers. He's 27, 28 already. So I probably. But Lipsius, Roger and I talked about this before. He got off to a really tough start where he was really lunging at balls and striking out a lot. It seemed unlike him. It, it looked to us like he was trying to hit his way to the big leagues. And he's he's settled down a lot now, and, and he's not getting a ton of hits, but his, the strikeouts have gone away, and he's still taking a fair amount of walks. So, man, I think if they called him up, I think he would be ready for the big leagues. I don't know how much he would contribute. He, he seems to have a pattern of, of maybe struggling for a week or two before he adjusts. But uh, it, it, I don't know if it's – like Malloy feels like a guy you call up and you play him every day. Lipsius feels like a Kreidler type where you call him up if you have a need and he plays in, in – Special situation. Quite weeks, three times a week. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. I, th- I think that what happens, John, is my, my opinion anyway, such a large percentage of the time, it's not the great play of the prospect that gets them called up. It's the attrition of 162 games and, and needs to rise with injuries. And, and all of a sudden, they need a guy for either a week or a month or the rest of the year. So, really, it's circumstances probably beyond Lipsius's control will determine when he's yeah. a Tiger. Yeah, and, and and on the minor league pod we did, I think I, we were even suggesting that that they might even call up Andy Ibanez first because yeah. he's a, a veteran and he's had some MLB success, and it's one of those things where they may have to let him go. I don't know the, the details of his minor league contract, but a lot of times those guys have an opt out on July first, so they may need to bring him up just to just to see just in case. But that would be another forty man mm-hmm. move, and and you bring him up and let him play for two weeks and decide. Now nah, this isn't this ain't it. And then you can get Lipsius up, but, but yeah, to, to John's point, it's it's or to Yoop's point, John and Yoop, it is it is more about who gets injured and and who stays healthy. Yeah, what about Ryan Credler? I don't think we touched on him getting sent down. Were you well, guys he's pretty well since he went back? No, well, they did it because he wasn't hitting when he had his opportunity. And you know what? I agree with Larry Love in the chat. So Detroit Tanner says, "Does Malloy play anywhere else besides third base?" And Larry said, "Yes, left field." And I could see that. Or even at some point, maybe even first base. I know it sounds strange, but he has. Yeah. Like, he, he played left field for the Braves, I think, exclusively once in AAA. they up, up to AAA because yeah. they have they have a pretty good third baseman in Atlanta. He's got a pretty good arm too, so I could see him potentially playing both corners and and possibly first base one day down the road. But yeah, I, I think right now he's an adequate third baseman. So we move on. There's do we have any questions, John, on Twitter or no? I saw a handful. Okay, all right. Let's get to the questions on Twitter, and whoever's who's getting the question. 
I've got uh, we got yeah, buddy. Also, yeah, buddy. At Michigan, he said, "Is is Badu getting playing time because he earned it, or because he's under contract and getting a last chance to hit and hit consistently?" I don't. Green Carpenter, Rogers, Maton, etc., aren't going anywhere. It feels like Badu is still auditioning. I don't think this is his last chance. I mean, he's only what 20, 25 years old. Twenty five. Oh, yeah, right now, isn't he? He might 24. be twenty three. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm oh, checking right now. I think twenty four. But uh, yeah, I mean, he got called up because he was performing in the in the minors, and uh, be twenty five in August. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But, yeah, I think he's a piece of the, that Scott Harris wants to take a look at and see if he can be something. I think he has speed. He's a solid defender, obviously. We saw what he did his rookie year. The potential is there. Yeah, I think he's a guy that's going to be given opportunities even past this season potentially for the Tigers. Yeah, I, he earned it. It was something that Hinch talked about and how effective he is in using his legs, and that's the same thing that he even said to us. It was that basically I'm going to use what my talents are to get up there, and he's been able to do it. He has been taking, again, the walks, Bro, what is worth? He has been taking the walks, but yeah, he has himself in situations where he's not hitting for doubles and, and all that jazz as of yet. But he did again. He was crushed the ball in Toledo. The numbers were there. He definitely earned it. Yeah, I mean, it's the the contract stuff is not a factor. He's still on his rookie contract. He still has, I I believe, at least one more option year. Yeah, yeah, I think. Yeah, one more because this is there's an option this year and one last year, so he he might be spending time between Toledo and Detroit this year and next year. I think he offers things that nobody else on this roster does. Really, he's a, a catalytic kind of player who can really put pressure on the defense. It's just he hasn't been able to be consistent since his rookie year, and really it was it was basically like two months in his rookie year, his first month and his last month. <laughs> But yeah, I think he's getting playing time. But like I said, because he does things that nobody else can do. Like Kirk Carpenter hits for power, which is great. They need that. Badu is a guy who can really hit the gaps and run for days. And, and uh, there's some value to that, but he's got to produce too. Everybody's got to produce. That's that's the way it's going to be soon, hopefully. There's still a lot of batting averages under 200 in this lineup every day. Yeah, I mean, he's got plenty of opportunities left, but there's going to come a day where they want Parker Meadows to play. Yeah, he's going to have to earn it even more. He's probably you can make there's some argument to be made, given that he's not hitting great, that he's being given this opportunity more than earned it a little bit, just based on their circumstances. But if if Parker Metal shows up and is ready, then he's going to have to earn time. Yeah, and and it, to go back to when John was bringing up Kreidler, Kreidler wasn't playing a ton, and he just doesn't seem like a guy who can hit very well without playing regularly. I think he, he went yesterday in Toledo. He had, uh, I think he had a three-run homer, but also struck out four times or something like that. So it's, uh, yeah, there are certain guys who, who feel more like role players, and, and Badu may be that guy, but I think he can play an important role on, on a decent team if used properly. No, I agree with Larry. He does make more contact. And he has gotten better. His arm has gotten better, but he still takes some interesting routes to the ball. Mm-hmm. But he is a better defender than he was before. And again, that's not saying that he's a great defender. But there's some some significant improvement to that. All right, next question. This one is, is more of a comment. It's from Deadly Ninja Beast. He said, here's a suggestion. You guys should make a montage of Torque saving his teammates from throwing errors. Oh, that's a, you know, that's a really good idea, actually. He's yeah. pretty nimble over there. Yeah, it's one of those things, though. Yeah, he does a great job digging balls out of the dirt. But that's like the bare minimum of what you need to do as a major league first baseman. 
we know like Torkelson works very hard at that. He's out there every day taking ground balls with the tiny glove, doing his thing. And he does he deserves credit for that. But that is like I said, that like first baseman, big league first baseman don't really get defensive credit for doing that because it's expected. I think Prince Fielder was probably the worst first baseman I can remember seeing in a Tigers uniform. And he was able to dig out eighty to ninety percent of the, the balls in the dirt. It's 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 you're basically fielding a ground ball, right? You should as long as you have useful hands, you should be able to do that. But Torkelson is very good at it. I, I'll give him credit for that. He doesn't miss a lot of them. I also think his footwork is solid in terms of yeah. getting the proper angle to stretch for balls. And, and he's athletic enough to stay on the base once in a while. Miguel Cabrera drove me nuts. As, as someone who played a lot of first base, I, I often thought his footwork was brutal in terms of fielding throws at times. It was just bad. Miguel, he was uh, just nobody cared because he was the best hitter in baseball, which yeah. is fine. Yeah. No, Miggy just wanted to be a shortstop forever. So, yeah, that might be a fun video, but I got go through a lot of clips. Of, a lot of clips. clips. This one, next one, Joe Sleeping from Blue Checkmarker 18. Now, he said if, if Justin Henry Malloy keeps mashing, who's most likely to be cut from the 40-man to make room for him? Scope, Short, or Nevin? Those are three options. McKinstry is another option. I don't know. It always feels morbid to be like, yeah, bring him up and, and screw this guy. <laughs> yeah. But it's a game about performing, right? And, and if yeah. you're not performing... Short is on the 40-man and not on the big league roster. That seems like it might be the easiest one to make. He's 27. I think Nevin is a 4A player. I know that's a pejorative. So they have some options there. And yeah, also just the kind of guy, too. I mean, if they take him off the 40, they probably resign him. Two yeah, days later. I would think so. It, it's one of those things that, like, you want Malloy playing third base every day. So or at least five times a week. So then what do you do with Maton? Does Maton become your everyday second baseman? And then what do you do with Scope? Does Scope continue to play only against lefties? I, I guess that could happen. Yeah, it could be Scope who, who's gone. Could I just short. think I just think you need more of a sample size from everybody because Nick Maton has not proven that he can hit on a consistent basis. Yeah. And again, Scope, I think for, I don't know why people forget that Scope can play defense. I don't, <laughs> I mean, you know, they, I don't know, you won the league in... Out above average last year is crazy. But. And it's fairly rare for players Scope's age to just stop hitting. It does happen occasionally, but the, this is a guy who who's always had a questionable approach, but he's, I don't know, had six different, like, two-war seasons in his career. Yeah, He's got, like, 20 career war. He's, he's been a good player. But, yeah, sometimes it's just over for guys. I don't know. It, it does feel like he's not playing enough to really get established. Again, you got to prove it when you're out there. All right, let's see. Oh, we got Field Diamond. He said, what is Parker Meadows' upside potential, taking a guess, at the big league level? His speed, his ability. I think it's speed and his ability to, he's got his batting, the the power, speed and power for me. I think maybe he was thinking about maybe like what could he be like an all-star, like maybe a player comparison you guys. Yeah. His body type for me and center fielder, a little bit of power. I was picturing Steve Finley. Remember Steve Finley? Yeah, he was a tall, skinny drink of water. <laughs> I, I, Finley was was a, a terrific base dealer. Parker Meadows is very fast, but not particularly aggressive on the bases. I don't I know. Think about like, center field, though. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it's a solid comp. I, I don't. The player comps are always tough. Yeah. We used to we used to throw out the Bradley Zimmer comp on Parker Meadows because there aren't a ton of six foot six 
center fielders, maybe like a Dexter Fowler, just really tall center fielders who are graceful and, and fast. I do think, to Roger's point, yeah, it's the speed and the power there that, that you're banking on, like upside 2020, maybe one day while playing above average defense in center field. That's that's like a four or five win player. That's the upside, right? Like the 95th percentile outcome. It's harder to find the middling outcome because he's still not great against left-handed pitching. He's gotten better, but it, it could be a Curtis Granderson situation where early on in his career, he might not even be playing against lefties. Yeah. What I thought of Christian Yelich when he was on the Marlins, like before he got traded to the Brewers, was that someone? Yeah. That's why the I don't like superstar Yelich. Yeah. Yeah. I think I like that. I think Yelich has always had a better hit tool. Yelich is like a 60, 70 grade hitter in his prime. Meadows is like, I think he, he could be a guy who hits you 260, 280, maybe a tops. But that's not bad. And again, it's you're we're, you're trying to make like physical comps and player comps, and it gets yeah. As I'm saying, I, that's that's why I'm saying I don't like doing that because, quite frankly, it doesn't doesn't seem to be productive with that because they uh, nobody like, nobody ever comps somebody who to a guy to somebody who just washed out and failed. Although yeah. I Bradley Zimmer kind of, but yeah, it it's just it's like one of those things. You 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 comp players to guys who people might remember, and generally people remember good players. So. I, I think there is all-star upside to Parker Meadows. It's probably more likely he settles in as an average regular, which would be fine to me. Push Riley Green to a corner. That's Parker Meadows playing center. And uh, you got an, an exciting outfield. Right, was there any more questions? Let's see. Last one here. I think uh, this is more of a comment. I think Martin Ertz said, I'm glad we aren't the Oakland A's. They aren't to have a place to play for two years after 2024. As bad as the city of Oakland has been treated by all their sports teams, don't sign a contract with them for those other two years. I don't quite get what he's saying, but uh, yeah, we talked about the A's earlier. It's uh, I am glad the Tigers are not losing their team. Yeah. And I'm glad the Tigers have seven wins instead of three. Well, yeah, what would we do if the Tigers, like, just didn't exist? I don't know. I, I root for the Charlotte Tigers. The Charlotte Tigers. I would what be lobbying would be? pretty hard for a... A new baseball team in Detroit. Maybe put a build a stadium on the riverfront. The Detroit Rays. Like, look, bottom line is I would stop watching baseball. Flat out. I I will tell you that right now. I, I don't think I, I don't think I don't I don't want to even think about that conclusion or anything I, like that. And no, honestly, it's probably, like, no, no, no. It's what a, we do with the Tigers minor league report. We're like, yeah, no. whatever. I look the, in in that unlikely. It yeah, anything's possible, but I just don't like talking because there's no point to talk about. It. I've, well, the I've, Green I've, Bay Tigers. Enough. Seriously, enough. I've discussed this on the show, I think, many, many times, but most of my family lives in the Hampton Roads area. My extended family, my, my dad's family, my mom's family, they both grew up in Virginia, in the Hampton, Hampton Roads area of Virginia, which is Virginia Beach, Norfolk, Chesapeake. Yeah. All very large cities, but not big enough to support a big league team. So they have a, they're a triple-A market. And they had the Tidewater Tides that became the Norfolk Tide. And they were an affiliate of the Mets for 30 years, maybe more. And then they switched to the Orioles. And my uncle, who was a huge baseball fan, was like, I, I don't know what the hell to do anymore. I used to root for the Mets all the time, and now I've got to root for the Orioles. I don't like this at all. And, and it's like, yeah, it's a bummer when you're, not, when you're not a major league market. I don't know what I would do. Like I said, I don't want to think about it because no need to. All right. So at any rate, thanks so much for listening to the – and that's because, like I said, it's just – to me – I 
It was just a fun question. That's not yeah. a question. It's not fun at all. But, it's not fun to think that the reason why it's not fun is because we know again with the ownership being the way it is right now, that could be theoretically possible. And I just don't want to think about it's it. Not, it's just, to it's me, not it's the just, time to do now the time to do the uh, the fake uh, huh? draft. Yeah. Yeah, I don't want. I'm yeah, gonna but, fantasize about Green Bay Tigers. This is not. This is not the Bleacher Report here, where I'm just sitting there saying the Tigers could potentially move. That's a story. No, we're not Bleacher Report here. So screw that. And we, mm-hmm. on that note, we move on and end the show. Thank you so much for listening to more Metrics here at TigersMLReports.com. Don't forget to check out all our great content over there as well. There'll be a Justin Henry Malloy story I'm working on that'll be coming out either. tomorrow more likely tomorrow i'm catching up a little bit it's the the wife was had a bad back and so the last couple of days i've been playing nurse and it's not i don't think of me in a nursing outfit because it's a bad idea but nevertheless thanks so much for listening we will be back there'll be probably a quick episode on sunday evening more likely youper and john will be doing that will be if you want to go watch us on the tiger minor report recap week three starting at nine o'clock or 8.30. I haven't decided the time yet, but thanks so much for everybody listening. OBK, Detroit Generate, Degenerate. Thank you, everybody, for the YouTube chat. Appreciate the comments and feedback. And Larry Love, thank you. We appreciate it as well. And we'll be back, like I said, either Sunday or you'll see us next week. Have a good week, everybody.